Hey, we're just about to jump into the episode, but before we do, did you know we have a junior-friendly Discord community? It's completely free to join. If you want to join us, the link is in the description. We'd love to have you. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another web development podcast episode at Down the Developer Podcast, where we help aspiring developers get jobs and junior developers grow. And with me today, I have Nick, who is a backend software engineer, or I think his official title is just like a senior software engineer, but I know he really enjoys the backend and has tons of knowledge when it comes to backend. So yeah, we're going to be talking with him today. And uh, I'm actually excited about this because a lot of people enjoy learning about the backend. No one cares about the front end when I talk, but... When we bring you on, everyone wants to know all uh, of the, or all of a sudden they have all of these backend questions that I get like private <laughs> messages about. So welcome back, Nick. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. Definitely glad to have you back. Um, and so, you know, as we talked about this earlier, um, I think a good chunk of like a lot of the knowledge that you shared was really kind of just taking people from like a start to finish like if you were to become a back-end developer all over again right what would you do but before we dive into that um you want to kind of just give a little bit of an intro you know who you are what you're about yeah definitely um so i've been working full-time professionally as a software engineer for a little over three and a half years um i've been with with one company throughout that whole time called catalytic uh based in chicago uh, prior to working in Catalytic, I went through Full Stack Academy's uh, Full Stack Engineer Bootcamp. Um, so that's a, a 16-week program. Full Stack Academy is a, a pretty well-known coding bootcamp. Started in New York, moved to Chicago. So I graduated uh, from Full Stack uh, towards the end of 2016. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so at, at Catalytic, I've worked on the the back end primarily, but I, I've done a little bit of everything. Worked on the front end. Worked on some uh, developer tools some database stuff, some infrastructure. Um, but I would say, yeah, primarily the back end. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, you've you've definitely touched on quite a few areas in Catalytics application for sure. Um, when I, so uh, to give context, uh, Nick and I worked together about a year ago and um, he was someone that I absolutely loved working with. He was a super friendly developer, very patient. Um, and especially when I first came on, we actually had a developer leave and I had tons of questions and uh, Nick was, you know, one of the go-to people. He's, he's incredibly helpful. So um, bringing him back on, but um before we actually dive into this question, can you, because your focus and your enjoyment seems to really be focused on the back end, can you talk more about like what's the day to day like as a back end developer? Like what, what could people expect if they did get a back end developer position? Yeah. So in my, my experience working both on the, the front end and back end, I found the, the back end requires a little bit more, uh, like uninterrupted deep focus time. Um, and it's often a little more isolating. Uh, on the on the front end, you're typically working with designers and product people a little more closely because that's the touch point with the customer primarily is the you know the front end, the UI. Um, that's what the customers see. That's what it's. That's where there's kind of the, the tightest enforcement of how things look and how things operate. Um, on the on the back end, you get, uh, in my opinion, at least a little more freedom to play around with things. Um, and typically the Technical problems you run into require more, uh, at least deeper solutions that require you know more focused time to work through. Um, so you can expect uh, 
you know, a lot of kind of solo time working through those uh, those problems, building things up from scratch. Uh, that's at least how I would uh, compare and contrast front and back end development day to day cycles. Yeah, yeah, I think that was good. Um, definitely a lot more business logic that we push to the back end. What um, you know, and a question that I you know I've, I've never really touched much of this, but how much like DevOps server management uh, type stuff do you think a normal backend developer will dive into? I think that will really vary based on the role. Um, I know early on um, when the dev team was a lot smaller, the the backend engineers were expected to pitch in more with that. Um, you know, as as the team grows, you get people dedicated to uh, to those sorts of positions and roles. Um, but I think it's always helpful as a backend engineer to have at least some insight and understanding into the you know you know lowest level tech stack, um, you know the hardware that your your code's going to be running on. I think just the more information, the more context, the better. Uh, makes it easier to, to spot bugs or you know identify issues before they arise. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so you know, for a front end developer, what I highly recommend is just get a little bit more comfortable with something that's a tiny bit more automated, like Heroku. Um, just be able to kind of deploy your apps, manage packages on the back end, like have some basic fundamental, like be able to set up a node server to serve static assets. Um, and so usually I kind of cut the cap on if you want to dive into AWS, you want to dive into Google's version. You can, especially if you're going to be interested in it, you might want to work in that area someday. But as a front end developer, I typically think um, there's a lot to learn on the front end. And when you start like leaning a little bit more towards the DevOps side, um, it, it needs to be a personal interest. I don't think it needs to be done to get that position as a front end developer. Well, I think extra context is always helpful. Uh, but is that different for a back end developer? Like for someone that's trying to become a back end developer, would you recommend they go past Heroku or something that simplifies that? Um, I, w- I would say early on, definitely. Um, okay. Especially if you're you're not familiar with you know deploying something to the cloud. Uh, if you try to take a look at AWS or, or GCP or Azure, it's going to be absolutely overwhelming. Um, the variety of services they offer are, are really targeted at, at enterprise customers. Um, and something like a Heroku or a DigitalOcean has a much more uh, simplified set of offerings that I think is like definitely the way to start. Uh, for any side project that I would work on, I'm definitely going to those. I'm not messing around with with AWS or anything. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's really good advice. Uh, what this is just personal curiosity um, for DigitalOcean. Um, what what kind of automation or packaging do they offer to make that setup easy? Because you had included um, that with Heroku. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've I've touched it. But if I remember, you get you know you know a pre-built box that you can SSH into. Um, you you can select from configurations based on the the runtime you plan to use. So whether that be like Node or .NET or uh, Python, Django or whatever. Um, so it, it'll pull in the the dependencies you need there, um, and then it's kind of it's plug and play. Um, you still got to get like your uh, SSL search set up and everything. Um, but so I think Heroku is a little, I haven't worked with Heroku directly, um, but I, I think oh, okay. Heroku might be a, a, give you a little bit more. Um, that's my sense, at least. I'm not sure if that's accurate, though. Don't fact check me. 
or fact yeah. check me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, because you could even set up like an entire pipeline and you can set up like a testing server that, um, you know, it'll, it'll, I think Heroku by default will block the build if any tests that do exist fail. It won't rebuild the server by default, but you could also set up a testing pipeline where you do have a brand new branch. It'll actually sprout up a mini server and you can look at that local instance. Um, it's really cool. I think that's one of my like big fascinations about Heroku is like you can set up a normal pipeline, uh, like you would see at Catalytic, just a really, really simple, simple version mm-hmm. of it to give people kind of the experience or the exposure of managing like a, a pipeline from like committing that code and then everything else that happens from there. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like m- much more deeply integrated than DigitalOcean. Okay. All right. That's, yeah, that was my question. Um, okay, cool. Well, for personal uh, taste, I'm probably going to stick with Heroku for personal projects, but uh, I'm glad you answered that. Okay. So question of the day. Um, and I asked this before, I think you did a really, really good job of articulating this, but this is a super helpful question. And we got tons of good feedback from it when you answered it. Um, if you were to become a backend developer all over again from scratch, mm-hmm. uh, where you've lost your knowledge, but you were able, I think the scenario I gave is like, okay, you're about to lose all of your knowledge of coding, right? Mm-hmm. But you can write a plan for yourself to give to yourself once you lose all of that knowledge and amnesia kicks in, right? Mm-hmm. So what would that plan look like? Yeah, so I think coming from a, a JavaScript background, my, my first recommendation is you know le- learn how to build a, a static website first. Um, learn what it's like to design a, assuming we're focusing on, on web development here. Uh, yes. You know, yeah. Assume what a, you know, like, there's no website without the the front end. Um, there are plenty of static sites out there that that are functional. Um, but yeah, I think you, you have to get that foundation down. And you know, assuming you teach yourself HTML, CSS, uh, and then JavaScript, uh, and you can get a static site up and running, I would say that without a doubt would be step one if you're trying to become a web developer, uh, even if you plan to focus on the back end. Uh, then learn about what an, what an API is, do some cursory research. And then I think the, the first step to actually like working with an API is to find a some sort of third-party service that uh, has their own public API, whether it be fetching, you know, geolocation data or whether, um, or, or, you know, scanning a product inventory somewhere. Don't build your own API, use an existing API um, and try to plug that into your static site that you've built. Um, I think that that's important because that'll teach you both like what an API can and can't do um, and what a good API to work with looks and feels like. Um, and it's important to have that context before you go in and, and build your own API. Um, okay, so you feel comfortable using someone else's API, then I would say it's time to try to build your own. Um, in the, the Node world, assuming you want to stick with JavaScript and not learn another language, um, the kind of de facto... Uh, like routing middleware would be Express.js. Highly recommend it. I think that's pretty much the only thing I've used historically. Um, yeah, me too. But yeah, so probably I think this is you. You you alluded to this a little bit earlier. I'd say the the first thing you should do is just set up uh, like static serving of of local files um, just to make sure you get that build pipeline down. Um, and there are 
uh, I'm sure a ton of tutorials out there. Um, I think when early on, when you're trying to learn something is like fundamentally different as an API, assuming that your only experience has been, you know, building a, a front end of a web, web page, uh, going for like a kind of handholdy tutorial is valuable, uh, making sure you kind of walk through step by step, getting everything set up because it is uh, really tough when you're going into something so different uh, where you have no context, mm-hmm. um, no experience uh, to draw upon and you're just running into error after error. I think that's a, a great way to, to waste some time. Um, and so, let, let, let's pause there because I think there, there's going to be a lot, uh, a lot more to say um, mm-hmm. given your previous answer before, but you just gave tons of really, really good advice right there. And I'd like to just ask a few yeah. questions. Go for it. Um, so what, one thing I really liked is when you were starting, you had talked about even if you're into backend and that's kind of where your interest lies, still build a static website. Um, can you elaborate on that? Why is that? Yeah. So at least in the, the web development world, the way I, I view in uh, an API is a means of providing relevant data to the user interface. Because again, in web development, the customer will be interacting with the front end. Um, and if you don't understand how a front end works, um, what that feels like to develop, then it's hard to have a, you, you kind of lack the context for, okay, what is it? What does a good API feel like from the consumer's perspective? Um, what do, what does a front end developer look for or need um, from an API? So I think that that's the only reason I do it. I'm always a big fan of, uh, giving yourself as much context as possible when when developing something because it's too easy to miss some requirements because you just didn't know what it felt like to be on the other side. Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a really good point. Um, so on the front end, and when we're talking about like a static asset, like you said, it, it's the client. It's what the customer's interacting with. It's your front end facing website. Um, but when we say static at, uh, website, that's what we're talking about. Uh, so you had also mentioned, so that, that probably means getting a little bit more comfortable with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript on the mm-hmm. on the front end. We talked about JavaScript being used on the back end uh, with Node, and we'll get more into that. But you had mentioned um, interacting with a third-party API before you built your own out. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Why do you think that is? Or why would you recommend yeah. that? Yeah, and so again, that kind of goes back to the idea of giving yourself as much context as possible. Um, if you try to build an API and you've never consumed an API before, um, so you've never had to make requests to a, an existing API and get data back and do something with it, then I think you, you're going to struggle to build a good, functional, usable API um, on, your, on your first pass. So I think it's a, a great way of, yeah, seeing the, you know, the, the benefits of an, of an API, um, you know, from that perspective of the, of the front end. Um, yeah. And understanding what makes a good API, a good API. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I like what you just said there is, um, understanding what makes a good API, a good API, because, uh, I think a lot of people, at least even when I was learning at full stack, I think it was kind of, it was a little bit easier to put the pieces together and get some, like routes built in Express, but I had no idea. Like, like I think the question that we all asked and our instructors had to tell our cohort over and over, like, just build it. It doesn't need to like be, uh, you know, follow like restful principles to a T. But we kept asking, like, 
is this like the legitimate way that we should build an API? And I feel like people get hung up on that part. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. I think that that, that's a good question. I think it's easy to, uh, no, spend too much time over analyzing uh, the the shape of your API. Um, and but your your third party recommendation was I, I'm actually saying because I don't want to confuse you. I think your third party recommendation was good because you could learn mm-hmm. from someone else's without like going over all these fundamental concepts and trying to apply it to yours. You could actually see an right. example. Right. Yeah. I think seeing it in practice is is extremely valuable. Um, and there's you know. I hate refactoring my own code. Um, Do you? And I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I like to build it once and be done. Um, okay. But I also hate looking at my own code that's not good um, and then yeah. wanting to Who refactor doesn't? it. So, of course, the, the idea is getting it right the first time, which it, realistically in the real world very rarely happens. But I think by you know, front-loading the research, getting that context, you can at least make your first pass a better one and make your life a little less painful down the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And I like the the phrasing front loading your um your front loading your knowledge basically to not build like a really bad version of your yeah. code, like just make it a little bit better, less painful. Yep. I like that. Um okay, and then you recommended building your own. So, you know, as I've done these podcast episodes and I I'm starting to do these boot camp reviews where I just mm-hmm. go around different boot camps, invite a bunch of graduates and get a feel for what's out there and what's successful, you know, good boot camps, bad boot camps. But I found that there is a common um uh, struggle, a common pain point in boot camps where a lot of web development focused boot camps will or like they'll have people dive into the front end portion first. Um, like we did it kind of opposite with full stack. We started with a back end, then moved to react um, a little bit more. But uh, a lot of boot camps, you have graduates that are saying like, there was a disconnect. Like I went from front end, I'm learning front end. It's a different model in my mind to understand the concepts and, you know, it put my code um, out there and, and build implementation. So, there's this like there's just this pain point of transitioning from front end you know from building that static website from interacting with that third party api to all of a sudden now like building your own routing building your own api it's um mm-hmm. and why do you think i'm going to ask you two questions like why do you think that is like what could cause that uh, that's going to be the first question. And second question is, you know, how can you have a smooth transition? First question's easier than that second one. Um, <laughs> so I think the the reason it, it's tough to switch from the, the front end to the back end, especially if all of your development experience has been on the front end, is the the way you validate that your code is good and works is by hitting refresh and interacting with it directly, visually, right? Um so, you know, a really easy feedback mechanism that I like, you know, biologically humans are, you know, built to interact yeah. with things. That's how you get your, your feedback. Um, when you move to the back end, there's no UI. There's nothing visual there to tell you whether it's, it's working or not. You have to, you know, manually go through and make requests, um, put in really good unit testing, um, not that sort of thing. Um, I think that it just adds a, a degree of complexity that you didn't have on the front end. Uh, you don't have that, you know, visual reinforcement of whether something is good or bad or right or wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. That and I, I'm someone that does like that feedback very quickly. Um, and I, I had kind of a tough transition, so I, I can understand and empathize with people that do have that tough transition. But I also had good instructors that made that transition pretty easy. But I, I want to ask you. Um, you could even think back to like maybe how full stack did it or how you were able to comprehend it and make that transition smooth for yourself. But so how do you, like you said, you have unit testing and you don't mm-hmm. get that instant feedback. How do you make that transition smooth? How do you pick back that end up a little bit faster? Yeah. So I think what you really have to so at some level, it's going to be kind of painful no matter what you do. I don't have any secret trick to make that an easy transition. Um, one of the things I, I did find that I was forced to develop moving to the back end and maybe something you can kind of focus on is building a, a mental model of the code um, and the, the various code paths within the application. Um, so being able to, you know, without that visual feedback, understand, you know, what, what the computer is doing, where it's going, within your code base, um, kind of having a, a, a mental stack trace uh, as you're coding through. Yeah. Um, and then I guess that's kind of where you, it's not the same as like real visual feedback, but if you can have that, you know, mental model and you know where an error is happening, you can, you know, visualize the various ways it can, you know, your code can get to that point um, and work backwards from there to understand where the problem might be. And that's a really good point. And I think that's where people trip up is they don't have that mental model yet. They don't know where their data is going. When, once you make that API request, like what, where did it go? Like what the hell happens with it after that? I think that's a really good point. How do you, how would you advise people to learn that mental model so they can um, visualize that data? Yeah, I would say the start is simply, you know, with the, the most simple app or set of endpoints that you can, uh, like, you know, a single Git endpoint, make sure you understand uh, the entry point um, into your, your API, make sure you understand the, you know, the routing structure. And then once you're within the handler for a particular route, understand, you know, where that, where the data that's ultimately being sent back to the front end, where that's coming from. Uh, if you have a, you know, a database layer, make sure you understand, you know, where you are interfacing between the database layer and your, your API layer. Um, I think it's it's easy until it reaches some threshold where it's suddenly too complex to hold in your head, and then it becomes tricky. And, and you know, the the less experience you have, the the lower that threshold is. Um, which is why I would advise against probably using a looking at like on GitHub someone else's code for an API um, if you don't have the context of what that particular API is accomplishing and how it was built and the, you know, the separation between the various layers, I think it's going to be really confusing trying to build up a mental model of code that you didn't write for the first time. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because people would always suggest, Hey, just look at something that's already built. And I could do that for a simple tutorial, a simple project. But when I looked at an entire code base, I'm like, this just made like, now I'm overwhelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed before, and I don't even understand how all of these pieces connect. Um, so I, I like that caution of like, try not to get overwhelmed by a code base that has, you know, had hours and hours and days and weeks of code pushed into it. Yeah. If you are in a situation where you have to, uh, you know, look, try to build up a mental model or, or understand a, you know, 
large existing code base for a backend, I would recommend taking, you know, one route at a time and tracing it all the way from the, you know, entry point all the way to the, the database layer or wherever the, uh, the bottom of the uh, stack traces. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Like you said, kind of just tracing your data. How do you do And one neat way I like doing um, is, and I still do it when I'm kind of building out an API is like, okay, now, you know, I've, I've received the request. Now we're going to go ahead and just respond with some empty response. But hey, we got your response. I'm like, okay, we're good here. We're good connected up into the route. And then maybe I have like a caching layer. And then I try to read that caching layer. And then I try to uh, look at the database, like the database is the next step. And I, I like validating at every step. Um, for me, that's helpful, especially when I'm going into a new code base, mm-hmm. like just figuring out, okay, there's probably layers I'm not expecting. Let's figure out where my data is at what point. Yeah, I definitely. Sometimes what's helpful uh, is literally drawing it out. Um, so. Yeah. You can, you know, drop boxes for different components or files, um, or, or like you say, a swim lane diagram to, um, you know, uh, visualize the the path of the the computer as you make a request for data. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I think people underestimate just like taking a piece of paper and like drawing out your concept. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do that. I had to, you know, with my Redis questions, I had to just kind of like draw the pieces and like the result of the data that I wanted in the caching layer in the database. And until I did, I felt like I couldn't hold it in my head. Mm-hmm. I just like had to get it down. And I don't know, I actually want to hear your personal opinion about it, but I'm, um, if I'm like writing out, you know, product requirements or technical requirements and going to make those public and share those with the team, um, I think there is, um, it makes sense to, use what what do we use at uh catalytic to share requirements i feel like we use notion for a lot of things notion yeah yeah. notion was the program um that i i was thinking of but like sometimes i think we underestimate just the power of like writing it out on a piece of paper rather than like dealing with like certain limitations of like a computer Mm -hmm. app because we just write whatever we want, wherever we want. I don't know. I like the freedom of paper. Maybe it's just yeah. like a personal choice, but I'm glad you, glad you mentioned that. So yeah. we, okay. So basically you talked about building a static website, connecting to a third party API, and then building out your own API and then connecting it with Heroku. Um, okay. I, I'm actually going to bring this up just cause I hear the siren. You're good with a siren, but congratulations, uh, to, to, I completely forgot you moved into a brand new place, right? Yeah, I just moved uh, a couple of weeks ago. Okay, that sign reminded me. I'm like, because I, I know you had uh, kind of like moved to uh, a little bit outside Chicago. Um, how's the new place? I just, I'm curious <laughs> about that. It's been good so far. Good to be back in the city, even though I'm just holed up in my apartment with the, uh, yeah. the pandemic. Um, but no, it's nice to be, yeah, good location, good. Uh, yeah, good city view. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Your windows actually look like my uh, one of my apartments. Are you in? Uh, well, I'm not going to ask your neighborhood on <laughs> stream, but that it looks actually really similar. That's that's kind of cool. But I, yeah, again, yeah, congratulations on the new apartment. Yeah, not not too far from where you were. Um, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. That's really oh, exciting. Yeah. 
that's one thing that I didn't like. And one, only one reason I was glad to move out of Chicago when I did was COVID. It's just like being contained in that apartment. It'll, it'll pass yeah. and you're going to have a beautiful yeah. apartment, but yeah. Um, okay. So now that that's out of the way, um, I, you kind of had mentioned like, okay, you're going to pick some of this up maybe from a tutorial and you're going to build something to probably retain this knowledge mm -hmm. in the beginning. I think previously you had talked about uh, kind of like this ratio, this balance of tutorial to, you know, working on the project to maybe exercises yeah. um, to actually like learn the concepts you need to learn, even just like for this first portion of what you just gave, how, like, how much time would you say you should invest into a tutorial? When do you, you know, when do you actually start on your, your personal project and, you know, how do you balance that out? So you make sure that you're, retaining what you know and you are thoroughly understanding what you know yeah so i i think that threshold or that ratio will you know vary from person to person um i think doing kind of one full pass through building a an entire api through a tutorial is probably good and then it's like a handholdy tutorial one that's like you know uh, whether it be a, a video or you know some sort of web page that you you click through, but where it like gives you basically the exact code that you need, where you're not exactly like generating something yourself. I think doing one of those through just to get a, a sense for um, like what what you know what you need to have to build a functional API is good, mm -hmm. and then my recommendation, or at least the way I would do it, is I would never touch that tutorial again i would like no not giving myself any answers um force myself to go through documentation uh trial and error uh and then kind of basically rebuild either that same project or, or something similar uh from scratch without that tutorial um and that's just to you know solidify my understanding of whatever i learned from that tutorial uh, and making sure it actually sticks with me because um, i've done plenty of tutorials where i haven't forced myself to, to exercise that knowledge afterwards and goes in one ear and out the other. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Or that piece of advice just to go through the tutorial and don't ever touch it again. Right. Yeah. And so like the idea is, you know, stop leaning on them giving you every single answer, like critically thinking about the problem and learning more through documentation and starting to get comfortable with that. Yeah, like you should, you know, use the tutorial to validate that your, you know, hardware works, you are physically capable of coding an API with whatever setup you have, um, and then validate that it works. And then, you know, whatever problems you're running into are, you know, solvable through, you know, at the code level as opposed to, you know, something else. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I definitely love that. Um, okay, so here we are. Static website, third-party API, building your own API, and then uh, potentially deploying that on Heroku. And so at this point, we basically have a probably like a basic version of some form of like a RESTful API. We have a credit. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Possibly. Um, and we, we actually, not quite yet. I, would you consider it a credit app if there's no database? Probably not. Um. It depends on what you consider a database. You can make a CRUD app that writes to a, That's a JSON file. Um, You're right. Or, yeah. But, but, but yeah, I, I, I think adding a database is a, once you get basic endpoints working, you know, serving okay. static assets, um, 
then it makes sense to to add some like actual so so I guess at, at that point you have data coming out of your API, but you have no data really going into the API. Um, that's typically where the the complexity uh, the, that's typically the more complex side of things is, is in taking data through the API and then uh, doing something with that data, whether it be storing it or processing it in some way. Um, so yeah, I would say getting a, a basic database working is a, a you know great first step or great next step. Um, something like SQLite, uh, I think is, is pretty straightforward to set up. I know Mongo is really popular. I haven't personally used that. And this is again, kind of assuming that you're working in the, the node ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, getting some sort of database stood up, making sure you're able to read and write from the tables. Um, yeah. And then once you have that, I would say the, you have that, you know, full CRUD app working kind of every layer of that built out. Then I think it's time to start doing something, you know, a, a little more complex, something outside the realm of, of CRUD. So working with, you know, asynchronous jobs or integrating with other services. Um, I don't know, you, can, you can go in a lot of di different directions there, but you have the, the fundamentals down. The problems that you would run into after that are no longer really API or backend specific problems and more like getting your code to work. Um, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think at, at that point you like, you have an API built, you just need to like, you know, you got all your layers put together. You just need your code, your logic to uh, function properly. Yeah. So you, you basically had talked about um, when you did build your API, you had talked about maybe starting with reading data from the database and serving it to the client. And then you mm -hmm. had alluded to, okay, now let's expand on that let's start doing stuff with our data. Let's start storing it, editing it. Um, and once we're able to do that, we have the fundamental concept of, okay, we could build a CRUD app, right? So now that I could build CRUD apps, uh, I think it, I do think it's a good kind of like fundamental start. It's like a good foundation right there. And then you had talked about, okay, so how do we make it more complex, right? Because, you know, at, Pretty much anyone that applies to a developer position nowadays, in my opinion, can probably build a CRUD app. It's, it might be a very crappy version of it, mm -hmm. but you had alluded to something that's really important. Okay. Now, how do we, um, how do we build something more complex? So a couple of things that you recommended was, um, asynchronous jobs, interacting with different services, maybe like even integrations. Mm -hmm. Um, what? So you, you almost like, th this is probably going to be a tough question because you, you can do those things, but it's hard to think of why you would need it. Because in my opinion, a lot of apps, you don't need a lot of complicated setups. Yeah. And so what would be one example of an app? Maybe we can try to come up with it together where you're going to introduce some complexity like that after you already have the fundamental crud. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so a, like any, like a sort of simple application that you could imagine being like a, a side project that would require something deeper than a, a CRUD app. Yeah. Um, hmm. What about, what do you think of like authentication? Where do you think yeah. like. I, I want, I wanted to bring that up. Um, I would say the, the other point where you 
really should use a tutorial the first time you do something is with authentication. Um, <laughs> you should not fuck around with authentication. Um, <laughs> that's where if you mess that up, that's like by far the most you know catastrophic situation you can be in, right? Um, whether that be you know passwords getting leaked or whatever if you don't have your database secured properly. Um, or, or whether you allow like session jacking across users on your platform, like there's yeah. there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of things that can go wrong there, and uh, mm-hmm. the stakes are definitely highest. Um, yes. Yeah. I guess the only thing that would or the something that should be treated with the same level of uh, you know, it, you know, intensity and attention to detail mm-hmm. would be any sort of like uh, personal information that users provide that you're storing in your database, whether that be you know. Obviously, social security number should be treated the same way. Uh, any sort of you <laughs> yeah. know document, you know, like government issued documentation that you're storing copies of or whatever. Like, generally, I would avoid as much as possible like storing that stuff yourself. Use a service that's dedicated to um, storing, yeah, your billing information, that sort of thing. Um, oh, use yeah. a you you don't want to be holding on to that. You want to be you know as far removed from the storage of that as as possible. Um, that's yeah. I think that that's where you can really run into issues. Ooh, that's that's really good advice, and especially with kind of a, you know, I, I think GDPR is kind of like a controversial topic on whether what companies do want to support it or not. But mm-hmm. I do think they have a lot of similar concepts that you're preaching. Is like, don't like if you can avoid it, do not ever hold on to any sort of personal information. And if you do, that needs to be like treated with the utmost like yeah. care. You have to be extremely careful. You know, I like if I write test in an application, if I write it anywhere and nowhere else, it it's definitely in the authentication layer. Yeah. 100%. Um, so I had this interesting, uh, so a previous guest of mine came onto the podcast and he had mentioned that if, an applicant could like if they built or implemented an OAuth setup Mm -hmm. and they could walk me through that setup, like from start to finish and explain what like areas that they can improve uh, with OAuth because OAuth can kind of get a little bit messy. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, I will seriously consider them for the position. Like he was fascinated by people that could implement OAuth from start to finish. Yeah. What do you think about, because I, I do think OAuth is a little bit more tricky than, you know, mm-hmm. just some uh, basic custom authentication of, um, you know, user credentials or something like that. So what, what do you think of that idea? Yeah. So OAuth is tricky because of the the addition of kind of a, a third party and the authentication flow, right? Um, yeah. You need to, you're actually getting the credentials from the the Google or the Facebook or whatever that that IDP is, um, and yeah, that that is that it, it adds just a layer of complexity. You go from two people to or two you know servers to three. You got the client, your own API, and the uh, yeah third party. Um, I think that is a that's a good next step um, that requires a, a you know deeper understanding of of you know API spec and um, yeah. There's more complexity with the interaction there. Uh, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, it, there are, though, a lot of solutions out there that are kind of plug and play with OAuth. And when, again, when it comes to security, like, I would go with the, like, tried and tested uh, 
you know, kind of mass produced solution. If you lose all like in, you know, an express OAuth library, I'm, I'm sure there is, um, I'm sure there are dozens, uh, what passports, a big one, I think, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there are a, a ton of others, but like, I would go with the, that, you know, a big open source project over a homegrown implementation of, of OAuth almost any day. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And maybe if you are going to attempt OAuth and like your own custom implementation, just keep that application to you. It's like a learning project, right? Um, yeah, but I, 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 it's, it's certainly valuable to try to implement it yourself for for learning purposes. Like I would hi- highly recommend doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly, without using something like Passport, I don't think I've ever like start to finish implemented a custom implementation for OAuth. So I think I want to give that a try actually in the near future. But yeah. okay. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I didn't have anything. Oh, okay. All right. Um, okay. So cool. So we kind of explored the idea that once you have a basic CRUD foundation, and now we start exploring some complexity. Right. Um, what's your opinion on like once we're kind of like implementing authentication, you had recommended tutorials for authentication, but, um, you know, like is your strategy of going through like a handheld solution? Let's, let's like exclude authentication from this idea, but, uh, for other things that you're trying to pick up, do you, would you ever recommend like, you know, start to finish tutorials where they walk you through every single step for other implementations? Would you recommend people try to figure out other, like maybe, uh, let's see, maybe like, uh, creating your, or like bringing an integration with Mm -hmm. another service could be another complexity. Um, you know, outside, even outside of authentication, like would you recommend people go from like a start to finish tutorial with something like that? Is that still useful or would you recommend them like try to explore the API and, and figure it out from there? Yeah. So I think it depends a little bit on the kind of learner that you are. Um, I generally don't love tutorials. Um, I do stand by, you know, going through a handheld tutorial for, something like your, your first time building an API. But I think be beyond that, unless you feel like you really have like no idea what's going on, um, if there are a lot of new pieces, then, then there's value in it. Uh, but I think if you understand everything that's going on except for you know the one service that you're now newly working with, um, mm-hmm. then I think it's you know where your issues are coming from. Um, and then it's easier to go through on your own and, and debug. Um, because again, the, the second step in using a tutorial for me is you go through the tutorial, then you force yourself to do it on your own. Um, and unless you think you're really going to struggle forcing yourself to do it on your own without the tutorial, um, then I would, I think it's, it's usually okay to skip it. Okay. All right. I like that. I really like that. So do you feel like at this point you're able to build complex applications enough to where like, where okay so like in this process of kind of getting diving into more complexity on the back end where would you start applying for positions where do you do you feel like developers are ready to start being competitive um in these different positions that's a tough question um I would, like with the caveat i've you know 
limited experience. Um, I came came out of boot camp, got hired pretty quickly, luckily within a couple months, um, and then I've been with that same company <laughs> the whole time. Um, so, and when I was hired, it was for like scripting work hourly um, because I was planning on um, going to college in like eight months after that. So I wasn't really looking for a long term thing. I so I am yeah. Not necessarily the, the best person to ask this question. Well, Don't have a ton you, of experience. But what, what I will say, I think if you are at the point where you can build a, you know, a full web app from mm-hmm. the front end all the way to the API, you can get a database working. And if you can deploy it too, I would say at that point, like, you're, you're probably good to go. Even if it's just a CRUD app, um, if you're able okay. to get end to end, I would say that's where you start looking for jobs. You, you should always be working on building your skill set, especially if you're trying to make yourself more marketable. But I think if you're at the point where you can converse about, you know, building an API, you can converse about, um, you know, deploying a project um, where you can showcase a project that you've built. I think that's, um, yeah, I think that, that that's where I would recommend starting to go for it. Um, but again, re- remember the, uh, the caveats I gave. <laughs> of course, of <laughs> course. Do you feel like that's where you were when you came out of Full Stack Academy? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, Okay. Yeah, the like our, our capstone project, which is like a you know final project you do in groups of three or four, um, is usually going to be like a, a full web app. Um, so ours was like a actually it was like an it was an API generator. Uh, so the front end was <laughs> built in React. You would input the um, you know models that you wanted and the you know various operations you'd want to perform on those models, and then using like a templating engine in the back end, it would spit out like a fully functional like code repo that you could uh, just like node app.js and then it would start up an express server with those models built in the routes. Um, so that's a, probably a little wow. bit more complex um, mm-hmm. than I, 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 I think that if you're at that point, you're, you're definitely probably ready to start applying places. Um, and again, that was a multi-person project that took weeks um, and I had some, some very good teammates. Um, but yeah. Okay. Built a app that builds APIs. That's a yeah. really good way to start off. We, yeah, we, 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 we had no ideas for a while. So our, our product was to, or our idea was to do what we were trying to do in the first place. <laughs> I like it. I really do. Uh, okay. So do you feel like something like Heroku is sufficient enough for a backend developer? So... Yeah, I, I haven't personally worked with Heroku. Um, I okay. couldn't. I, I I couldn't tell you. Um, I think in my my day to day as an en- engineer, at least now, I'm I don't really have to touch the deploy process at all. Like I I, I merge to a you know our you know deploy branch or you know push with a tag, and and by and large the the deploys handled for you. Um, I think it, it's always good when an engineer is able to troubleshoot deploy failures on their own, especially if you're going to be on like an, an on-call rotation or something like that, especially if you're working with a smaller team. But if you imagine working for a, a, like a larger company um, where you're going to be just focused on kind of one, one feature primarily as opposed to all across the code base, um, then I think Heroku is pro- probably going to be sufficient. Okay. All right. So I think... Um... You had mentioned that with Catalytic and pretty much any startup, when they're growing, you just have a few engineers, backend's probably going to be touching. 
a little bit more DevOps, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, most startups, um, you know, I've worked at startups in three different, uh, three different companies, about a hundred employees each generally. And, uh, yeah, backend engineers generally did not touch the deployment process or it was just like one senior backend engineer that kind of like took that on themselves to do that. Um, yeah. And, okay. and normally once it's built, like it's built, you don't need to change it around too much unless you're doing some, uh, like major infrastructure overhaul. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I think that's a really good thing to remember. So we have our apps, we can build apps, we can build APIs. Um, we can, we have like a minimal amount of knowledge just to deploy our app. Mm-hmm. What about data structures and algorithms? Because a lot of companies test on this. Um, and you know, full stack Academy was big on teaching, you know, like we went over those whiteboard interviews and we practiced a lot. Um, how I want to ask two questions because I think these are two separate things. How much of that knowledge of data structures and algorithms and optimizing your code to that level is transferable to like t- the typical developer job um, on the back end? And um, yeah, l- let's actually start with that one. Yeah. Um, I would say it's important to understand data structures and their their, their various uses. I think it's a lot less important to understand the implementation details um, because like you're, you're never going to be building a linked list yourself or like a, you know, a circular buffer on your own. Like it's just not something that you, you do day to day. Most languages have those types built in natively at a, you know, working much more efficiently than you would ever be able to do um, in any, in any reasonable <laughs> amount of time. Um, so I would say it's, Putting aside the the interview question of whether you need to know it for for getting the position, I would say from from you know a day to day perspective, just like be familiar with various data structures, understand when it's right to use them and when it's wrong to use a particular data structure. But understanding exactly how to build one from scratch is not something you you should really be overly concerned with. And again, there's sort of things like online like it is not like school like you're it's open book it's an open book yeah. job like you have access to the internet you're expected <laughs> to research look at documentation um so so i would yeah i that's kind of my answer yeah yeah that's a really good point so understanding the different types of fundamental like basic data structures um but not necessarily like memorizing implementing it like from start to finish yeah right yeah, and I, I'd say the, the similar thing goes for for algorithms, like you know, mm-hmm. um, would be like depth first search or, or you know, like an A star algorithm. Like it, it's good to know what they're what they're for. Um, it's good to be familiar with them. So when you run into a problem, you'd be like, oh, I know an, an algorithm that can solve like that can solve this sort of thing. And then my recommendation is to immediately go and find an implementation <laughs> of that algorithm that yeah. has already been built in a you know a package or. Or at least something you can use as reference if you're going to build it your, yourself. But like building it from scratch yourself is like usually not the you're you're usually going down the wrong route if you're spending like a lot of time implementing something that low level. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really really good advice um, because a lot of developers they don't really know how deep they need to dive into it. They really don't um, because it, different companies test different things, and I I think. 
well, I, I've seen a lot of companies just, you know, have a whiteboard interview because they think it's the thing to do. Right. Yeah. It, it gets tricky. Um, but I liked your idea of like learning about it. Maybe even just like, I think code wars is really cool. I, um, I personally liked at full stack Academy learning different algorithms for different situations. But like you said, well, for me, I forgot most of it, but I could reference, oh yeah, I remember, um, I don't know. I think it was, oh God, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to completely forget that actual implementation. So I'm not going to go into details about it, but I'd remember like, okay, we, I was parsing syntax and I used this data structure and this algorithm to solve that before. Oh, um, I have to parse, you know, this, weird string of text that kind of looks like a, um, a syntax that like start, like has curly yeah. braces on the left, curly braces on the right. And it has like, it just continues stacking like that into the center. Um, just like when I practiced the problem, um, I like that idea of just like running through it once, um, and, and going through a different like implementations just to have it as a reference. So you can look it up later. Yeah. Yeah. I like and that. I think if you have, you know, enough of an understanding of like what a particular data structure does, you can think of a way to implement it. It might not be the canonical way. It might not be the most efficient way, but like you should be at the point where you're like, okay, if I really had to build something that is at least analogous to like a, I don't know, a stack or, or a queue or whatever, um, a linked list, doubly linked list, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do. Like, like if you should, you should be able to like have enough of an understanding to build something that approximates it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that advice. All right, so I think I, overall, um, I think you gave like a really good start to finish. And what I liked that we did this time was kind of like just have you elaborate more and dive into it a little bit deeper because, um, you know, it, as we kind of describe some of this, I, I just, I'm trying to remember like, you know, you've met people at the meetup, but just coming through and maybe they're on like they're on step three and they're moving into like forming their own API. And, you know, like I said, that was Mm -hmm. one of like the big questions people were struggling with is like, how do I transition that mental model to be able to handle that? Like it's a different way of thinking. And I like that we walked through start to finish and kind of dove into some of those details and concerns as they were brought up within that, uh, like near that step of the process. But you, you, again, very articulate. You did an amazing job kind of describing start to finish. Um, and I think it's a good amount of knowledge for people to go off of to like have a step-by-step guide generally to kind of start working towards becoming a back-end developer or a back-end software engineer. So um, what I want to do is final piece of advice. We're going to, if you were to give like one final piece of advice for aspiring back-end developers um, out there right now, what would it be? Um, work through your roadblocks. So when you come across an error that you don't understand or really anything you don't understand is like, figure it out. Um, because my, my whole, whole thing about, uh, having as much context as you can, um, you know, you got it. If you don't understand something, it means you're lacking a piece of context and you never know when having that tidbit of information will, you know, pay dividends in the future when you run into some other problem. Um, yeah. So yeah. Always try to understand things. If you feel like you're not understanding something, spend the time to research it. 
within reason. There are some things you, you should be okay with not understanding. But <laughs> um, uh, No, I think that's good advice. I think that's really good advice. And maybe maybe some people do kind of shy away from that. And they they might, you know, I often hear like, oh, well, I probably don't need to know that, right? So we're, we're just going to go with a different type of implementation. And I think your advice would be really good for people like that. Yeah. Just give me... It- in maybe second little piece is, is I would focus rather than focusing on memorization, uh, focus mm-hmm. on, on understanding. Um, so you're, like, you're always going to have access to documentation, the internet mm-hmm. stack overflow, right? If you have it in understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, you don't need to have the exact mechanism to do it memorized. Yeah. You, you really seem to have this philosophy of like, if you really want to understand something, don't try to memorize it, try to figure it out, try to yeah. debug it. I like that. I I really, really like that. Um, okay. We covered everything I wanted to cover. Uh, again, Nick, this was phenomenal. I think you're a brilliant software engineer, and it shows. Um, like I said, I, I even mentioned this previously. Obviously, everyone at Catalytic had tons of respect for you. That's why I always went to you. Um, you were incredibly helpful. So um, kudos to you for all of that. Um, Nick, if people do kind of just have a random question, you don't have to be available all the time, but like people just want to connect with you for whatever reason, where can they reach you? Yeah, definitely. For that sort of thing, uh, LinkedIn's probably the best. I don't have a huge social media presence. Um, but yeah, feel free to connect, reach out, shoot me a message with a question. Happy to, uh, happy to help out. Amazing. And really appreciate the, uh, the kind words, Don. Yeah. Oh, they, they come easy. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> they, they come easily. I, it's always a pleasure having you on. Um, okay. So everyone that's watching, thanks so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Um, like subscribe if uh, you want to be notified when our next podcast video goes up. But again, we do this for now. We do this every Friday, 6 PM central time. And then, uh, probably about a week later, video goes up, audio goes up and I kind of blast it out on different social media platforms. So, uh, if you want to hear more like this, definitely subscribe, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see you next time. And Nick, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Like